Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about empowering each of us with the perspective and tools to grow and change. Thanks for joining us today. I'm excited to spend a few minutes with you today, and thank you to all of you who've been sending us messages about this podcast. Our goal is to bring a bit of encouragement, positivity, and inspiration, perhaps, to our listeners each week. So today, wherever you are listening to this podcast, I hope what you hear can bless your life and help you live better. By the way, if you find these podcasts helpful, you can help us by sharing these podcasts with a friend. Word of mouth helps us further our mission. Just share the podcast and say something like, I thought you might enjoy this. Have a great day. And that would help us expand our mission and keep doing a little bit of good. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about this. If you open your eyes, you can see miracles. Amelia Earhart was an American aviator and author. She was the first woman to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean. She promoted commercial air travel. She advocated for equal rights and was one of the most influential women of her day. During an attempt to become the first woman to complete a flight around the globe, Earhart and her navigator failed to arrive at her destination, Howland Island, after leaving New Guinea. Her plane was never found, and the official report was they had crashed somewhere in the Pacific. About this same time, Earhart's good friend Carl Dunrud had begun construction on a cabin upriver from Kerwin, Wyoming, in the mountains. Earhart and her husband planned to spend much of their retirement there. And when Dunrud got the word that Earhart had disappeared and was likely dead, construction on the cabin stopped. You can see remains of the cabin still to this day if you travel to the Shoshone National Forest about 40 miles south of Cody, Wyoming. Now, it was in the same area a few years ago that a young 17-year-old teenager, Mackenzie Morgan, had her own experience with airplanes and crash landings, just miles from the remains of Earhart's cabin. McKinsey had always wanted her pilot's license, so her grandfather paid for flying lessons, and she had been training for about three weeks, completed her first solo flight perfectly, and was now attempting her second solo flight in a Cessna 172. The plane belonged to her uncle. As part of the training, she was flying to several small towns in northern Wyoming, and the last stop was in Grable, Wyoming. From there, she would fly back to Billings, Montana, a trip of about 100 miles. Now, Mackenzie was a natural, according to her flight instructor. But after leaving Graybull, Mackenzie got disoriented due to forest fire smoke in the area and transposed a zero in her GPS coordinate input. As a result, she started flying in almost the opposite direction of Montana. And this took her southwest towards Frank's Peak the highest point in north-central Wyoming, which stands at an elevation of about 13,000 feet. Soon, McKinsey knew she was in trouble. She had mountains on both sides of her and could not turn the plane around. She was supposed to be flying at 7,500 feet, but she had to climb well above 8,500 feet to avoid hitting the mountains. And soon, she had to climb higher, and a stall warning sounded inside the cockpit. Again, she didn't know what to do. In the meantime, McKinsey's flight instructor had not heard from her, so she jumped in her own plane and took off in hopes of spotting McKinsey. 
Mackenzie's grandfather and uncle took off as well, and soon other planes were in the air looking for Mackenzie. But the terrain just wasn't friendly. Lots of mountains and steep ravines. Most of the pilots knew if you went down in this mountain terrain, you were not likely to survive. With her friends and family continuing their search, most knew that with the sun soon to set, the chance of a downed pilot surviving the night injured wasn't likely. Her parents had gone to the police, and the police looked at the last location of a ping from McKinsey's cell phone. When they saw that her last cell phone ping was in the wrong direction moving south from Grable, they were worried. Searching in the thick canyons there would be like finding a needle in a haystack. And Hope was dying with the setting sun. Bobby, McKenzie's flight instructor, and the other pilots weren't aware of the disaster that had happened on the ground below them. Josh Alexander and Nate Coyle loved to hunt in the rugged peaks of the remote mountains of Wyoming. And they had packed up their horses and were scouting for bighorn sheep. Now, to find bighorn, you have to travel in steep, rugged country far away from civilization. 9,000 feet up above the abandoned mining town Kirwan, the two men made their camp. The next morning, they were traveling up Grable Pass. Josh's horse took a tumble and took Josh with him, and Josh injured his ankle. But despite his injury, they decided to travel a bit higher. And when they got to the top of the pass, the wind had increased to 30 miles an hour. It was then that they heard the sound of an airplane engine. They could see the plane headed for the mountain peak. The plane jolted upward, cleared the peak, but just as it cleared the peak, the wind blew the plane sideways and it went down. Immediately, the two men split up. Josh went to the plane crash and Nate went to get help. Nate and his horse descended the pass as quickly as possible. Nate found his truck and went for help. Meanwhile, back at 12,000 feet, Josh was looking through his binoculars to see if there was movement in the plane. As he watched, he saw movement. Now, Josh had a sprained ankle and an injured horse, but he traveled down the switchbacks, left the trail, followed a creek, and all of a sudden, he saw a girl walking in the creek. That girl was McKenzie. After the crash, McKenzie had passed out for several minutes, and she woke up hanging upside down. She had survived the crash, but she had no food, warm clothes, or way to survive in the mountains. She recorded a brief goodbye to her family on her cell phone in case she didn't make it, and she started walking. Her plan was to follow the creek as far as she could. When Josh caught up to McKenzie, he first checked to see if she was okay, if she was injured, and she asked him, where they were. He said, Matitsi, Wyoming. She was shocked that she was so far from where she was supposed to be. Well, Josh led McKenzie down the mountain towards the trailhead. And when Josh saw the trailhead through his glasses, he knew they were safe. Once off the mountain, the sheriff called McKenzie's parents. And McKenzie's parents, her flight instructor Bobby, and all her friends dashed to Cody, Wyoming, to the hospital to find McKenzie, who was safe and sound. Now, what are the odds? What are the odds that these two hunters would be in the remote mountains just at the right place at the right time to see McKenzie's plane go down? Well, Josh says, we must have been in the mountains that day for a reason. And McKenzie said, I guess someone must have a plan for me. You hear stories like this and wonder, is it a coincidence or 
Is there a reason Josh and Nate were there atop the remote mountain, far away from people, just when Mackenzie Morgan needed them most? I don't think it was by chance. I choose to see it as a miracle. But some may think that miracle is too strong a word. I mean, the definition of miracle is a surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. I hear the word miracle thrown around a lot in life, and I'm sure you hear the same. But what about miracles? Do they happen? And if so, why are there miracles in some situations, and then at other times, when you need a miracle most, they don't seem to happen or don't happen in the way you wish they would? Well, first, I believe there are people who are apt to look for miracles. The scripture says, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now, the way I interpret this is maybe we need to be looking for miracles because God does have amazing things planned for us. In talking with a good friend on this topic, she told me, I would rather be a person who notices miracles rather than doubting them. It just makes me a more hopeful and optimistic person. Albert Einstein said, there are two ways to live your life. One as though nothing is a miracle, and the other as though everything is a miracle. I think that's true. I've had people come into my life that have changed my life just at the time I needed them. And when you're looking for a miracle, maybe you're more open to the advice of others. Maybe you take more chances. Maybe your heart is inclined to have faith in something or someone. Helen Adams Keller, an American author, political activist, and lecturer, was the very firstborn person in the United States who was deaf to ever receive a bachelor's degree. She was born June 27, 1880, in Tuscumbia, Alabama. Her father had been a captain in the Confederate Army. Her paternal grandmother was the second cousin to Robert E. Lee, and one of Helen's ancestors was the first teacher of the deaf in Zurich. She was born with the ability to see and hear. However, at the age of 19 months, she contracted meningitis, and this left her both deaf and blind. Annie Sullivan arrived at Keller's house early in Helen's life. It was in 1887, and she immediately began teaching Helen. She started by trying to spell words in the palm of Helen's hand. The beginning word was doll. Annie would place a doll in Helen's hand and then spell the word on the palm of Helen's other hand. Helen got frustrated because she didn't understand that every object had a uniquely distinct word that would identify it. As a matter of fact, she was so frustrated when Annie gave her a mug and tried to spell mug in her hand that Helen picked it up and threw it across the room, smashing it against the wall. Helen's first miracle breakthrough came just one month later when she realized that the motions the teacher was making in the palm of one hand while pouring water in the other hand were related. And this was a defining moment in Helen's life. She said, Suddenly I felt a misty consciousness of something long forgotten, and somehow the mystery of language was revealed to me. I knew that W-A-T-E-R meant the wonderful, cool something that was flowing over my hand. And that living word awakened my soul and gave it light and hope and joy. It set me free. I realized everything had a name, and each name gave birth to a new thought. 
As we returned to the house, every object which I touched seemed to quiver with life. Now, Helen Keller went on to become a world-famous speaker and author and inspiration to so many others who had once been determined to be hopeless like she had been. She met and inspired presidents and leaders and people of every kind. But I call this moment where Helen Keller opened her eyes, the realization in her mind, so to speak, as a miracle. I mean, how else could a blind and deaf person come to such a realization? And it's a miracle how this realization changed her life and how she in turn inspired so many others. That's a miracle. And I believe that these small miracles happen in our lives all the time. Moments of clarity that we don't always arrive at on our own. The point is, sometimes you need to be looking for a miracle. Maybe take a chance or two, answer an ad, listen to a suggestion, follow your inspiration. One of the truths we all learn in life is that much of the good that comes our way comes our way when we are open to miracles. And it's tough to believe, to trust that miracles will come because in the back of your mind, you wonder, do I deserve a miracle? So whatever you're waiting on in life, whether it's love or children or healing a job or your business to grow, weight loss or feeling healthy or feeling peace, I know this, miracles can and do happen. And before I say anything else, let me be clear about something. I know that many of you have been battling an illness or setback or dealing with loss in one way or another. Please don't give up. Keep trying. There's a reason you are where you are. And here's what I know. God has miracles in store for you. So start looking for the good. Be open to miracles that can come your way. I believe that things are already working together for your good. Here's another truth. You deserve love and forgiveness, strength, and happiness. And you may not feel like you deserve it, but you do. You are of immense worth and here on this earth to find peace and rise from the ashes, so to speak. That's what life is all about. Remember that when one door closes, another opens. But you and I need to open our eyes and be looking for that other opening door. Too often we look so long and so longingly at the closed door that we don't see the one that has opened. I've also learned this, that sometimes we feel unworthy because of the loss or our mistakes, unworthy to even think that miracles can happen. And those limiting beliefs hold us back from what God has intended for us. So let yourself believe that you are of immense worth and your time will indeed arrive soon and that miracles can happen. Don't give up. Now, maybe you've been pursuing your dream for a long time. Don't give up. Rely on the miracle to come. Sometimes it can take years, but stay in the game because when your dream does become a reality, you'll be so glad you didn't give up. You know, I wonder how many times people give up just before the miracle is about to happen. I wonder how often we stop just when we're on the very brink of success. And I suspect it's more often than you think. And don't overlook the small miracles. And be willing to listen to inspiration that may come your way, no matter how small it might be. For sure, life could be described as a series of small miracles. You know, when I was a young man, I worked on a farm that was about 30 miles away from my home. And to be at the farm early in the morning, I usually left with my two friends about 5 a.m. And we always took turns driving. One night, 
before the next workday, I stayed up late at a friend's house, and by the time I got home, it was well after midnight. Well, I had a lot of brothers and sisters in a small house, so I didn't want to go in and wake everyone up. So I grabbed a sleeping bag and slept on the front lawn. And when my friend arrived at five in the morning, I threw my sleeping bag back in the garage and went to jump in the car. Now, the car we drove to work each day was an old station wagon. And if you're a millennial and you don't know what a station wagon is, it's a long car with three rows of seats, and it looks like a Suburban, but it's low to the ground like a car. And I was happy that day because I didn't have to drive. And since I hadn't slept very long the night before, I was going to lay down in the back seat, stretch out, and sleep for the 30-minute ride to work. Well, just as I went to open the back door, I looked at John, who was driving, and he looked tired like me. And something prompted me to abandon my sleep and sit in the front seat and keep him company. Well, like typical guys, we didn't say much. He reclined the driver's seat a bit, got the car on the freeway, set the cruise control, and I sat back for the trip to the farm. I thought in my mind, if John falls asleep, I'll just reach over and steer for him. I'll just move the steering wheel. About 15 minutes into the trip, we were speeding down the interstate, and I went to adjust the air vent to reduce the air blowing on me. And when I did, I somehow broke the vent and the pieces fell onto the floor. So for the next five minutes, I was awake and busily trying to reassemble the air vent. It was hard to puzzle back together and it took time. Finally, just as I was finishing, I looked up. John had fallen asleep. The car was veering off the road just as it was approaching an overpass. And we were headed for a head-on collision with a cement wall. The thought I had had earlier that I would reach over and steer the car prompted my reflexes, and I grabbed the steering wheel and corrected our course on the road before we made contact with the overpass. And when I did, we missed the cement wall by inches. Well, John woke up, felt the car swerving, and yanked the steering wheel the other way, and we ended up fishtailing back and forth on the freeway until the car came to a stop. And we were both a little shaken up, but unharmed, we went on to work. Now, this was a small coincidence in my young life, but I often counted it as a miracle that I didn't lie down in the back seat that morning to sleep, especially when I was so tired from the night before. When you follow the inspiration that comes your way, you often see miracles. Now, I have a dear friend named Marcia. When she was a young 15-year-old girl, despite her mother's protest, she started dating an older boy, and soon he became a steady boyfriend. And like many of us as teenagers, she didn't follow her mom's counsel, and she ended up unexpectedly pregnant. Now, because there's often a stigma associated with teenage pregnancy, in those days, often you went to live with an aunt or uncle in another city for the months of carrying the baby and delivering it. And that's what Marcia did. When Marcia gave birth to a beautiful baby girl, she listened. She'd listened to her mom's advice and reluctantly gave the baby up for adoption after assurance that the baby was going to an excellent couple who wanted a child of their own. Now, Marcia wasn't told the name of the couple or where they lived, and this was an exceptionally courageous decision for a young 15-year-old girl. You can imagine the emotional struggle that she went through. It was a heartbreaking decision for her, but given the circumstances, she did it out of love for the baby. Well, the years passed, and Marcia went on to get married and live an exemplary life where she's given back to her community and family and church in amazing ways. She's a faithful, kind, and giving person. And Marcia and her husband, Tom, never had the blessing of having children. 
for her whole life, she wondered about her daughter. What kind of life is she led? Is she happy? Did I do the right thing? As the years passed, Marcia always seemed to be looking for her daughter, hoping for a miracle. I mean, how could she not? What loving mother wouldn't? In her mid-twenties, she hired an attorney to help her find her daughter, but to no avail. All they found were dead ends. And it seemed that when she ventured to look, her hopes and heart were broken again and again. But she didn't stop. She was always looking, always wondering. Now, with the advent of the internet, Marcia began visiting websites that reunite children with their birth parents. And Marcia went online and put in the name of her daughter. Year after year, Marcia stayed consistent in entering her daughter's name into these sites to see if she could learn any news. Then, a few years ago, in November, the same week as the baby's birthday, Marcia awoke at three in the morning. She felt a prompting to get up and go enter her daughter's name into a website one more time. But as she was searching the website, she suddenly remembered something. She'd put her boyfriend's last name as the baby's last name on the birth certificate, and she hadn't used that name to this point. So she entered that name. And later that morning, she got a call from the website administrator. She said, I think we may have found your daughter. Well, later that day, Marcia and her daughter, Shannon, were given each other's phone numbers. Shannon called 24 hours later, and they set up a meeting. It was then the butterfly started for Marcia. Marcia was worried. Will my daughter understand? Will her adopted parents accept my reaching out to her? Well, her worries were needless. Marcia's daughter Shannon was thrilled to meet her new mom. Soon, Marcia met Shannon's husband and children as well. Now, there were other coincidences along the way, but I believe that a prompting in the middle of the night to enter a new name brought a miracle that changed their life. Now, as you wait for miracles, recognize that most miracles come from and through other people. We have to be open to letting those miracles impact us in our life. We have to look for the miracle and be inspired to follow the people who may lead us to that miracle. And sometimes it also means we need to look up as well. On May 19th, 2016, Indy Lou Jones was born. Her parents, Tara and Brian, were so happy. Soon after the birth, they realized that Indy was born with Down syndrome. And despite her health issues, Indy was so happy and cheerful and fun. And they loved to hike and camp and hang out together as a little family. And because of the joy Indy brought into their family, Tara wanted to share the journey with her friends and family. So she started to post her daily experiences. Tara felt impressed that it might be a bit of encouragement, a miracle perhaps for other people. So she posted their story under the title, Awake My Soul. Soon there were over 10,000 comments, many from others in the Down syndrome community and many from people who just loved Indy. For the next 12 months, Tara documented everything. They had a life of fun. But Tara, a former pediatric nurse, started to see something in Indy's behavior. At first, Brian brushed it off. But one day, while on vacation, Brian ran out for groceries, and when he returned, he paused for a few minutes in the car, and he felt an impression. Indy has leukemia. So when they returned home, they took Indy to the hospital. They got her blood drawn, and yes, she had leukemia. 
myelodysplastic syndrome. Indy would spend five months in chemo doing five rounds of chemo, fighting off the disease that was trying to take her life. As they fought and cared for Indy during treatments, Tara's daily posts started to get attention from all over the world. Each day, walking along in her little purple walker, Indy started to have an effect on others. People would comment and say, Indy pulled me out of a dark place. Indy gave me hope. One lady from France said that when she saw the posts about Indy, she had already started to give up on life. But she said to herself, if this little girl can endure and persevere with a smile and with such grace, I can endure my life's challenges as well. People would come to Instagram to get their daily inspiration from Indy. And many would say, Indy saved me. Miracles started to happen all around the world. Well, out of the hospital, the next 10 months were good months for the Jones family. The cancer was in remission, but then Indy's cancer came back. She received a bone marrow transplant. It failed. Her heart failed, and one day she stopped breathing. At that moment, there was part of Tara that said she just needs to be free of all this suffering. And then another part, the, the mother's part, that said, I can't bear to lose her. And there in the hospital, during this critical time, a picture was taken of Indy and posted. And in that picture, amidst the tubes and Indy's broken skin, with her eyes closed, the picture revealed something miraculous. Indy's index and middle fingers were crossed. Soon, hundreds of thousands of followers posted pictures of their fingers crossed. Indy inspired thousands who were praying and wishing for her recovery. Some posts said, I haven't prayed in years, but I've been praying for Indy. Others, I don't even believe in God, but I'll do anything for Indy. And people were sending pictures of groups with their fingers crossed. Others even put her name on slips of paper on the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. As a result, Indy did recover some. She was taken off life support, but she still had cancer. But the Jones went home to make the very best of life they could. Now, Indy loved the movie Up. So Make-A-Wish built a replica of the house Up in Indy's backyard. She loved it. Meanwhile, the doctor said there wasn't much else they could do, and Indy was given six weeks to live. So Tara and Brian made the most of every day. Miraculously, at home, she started to improve. The cancer started to disappear. The prayers of so many were answered for a time. The family had decided to move, and they wanted to take Indy's up house with them. But since it was built in the backyard and there wasn't a way to move it intact, so the community rented a giant crane, and the up house was lifted from the backyard. And like Indy, it gave everyone in the neighborhood a reason to look up. Now, Indy's grandfather was struggling with issues of his own. He said his life was on a destructive path, and he didn't care about much of anything. He had spent decades using drugs and had recently got out of prison. And he had little hope. Until Indy. When he watched his granddaughter fight for her life, everything changed for him. For a month, in the ICU, he spent every night with her. He would talk to her, and she would inspire him. His life of addiction began to change. He would say, she heard me as I talked to her. And from that day forward, we had a bond. And she changed his heart and made him want to be a better man. Well, after a while, a long while of happiness, Indy's parents noticed her eyes swelling. Her cancer had returned, 
She had tumors along her spine, and for the next six weeks, you would never know that she was dying of cancer. Tens of thousands of people posted songs and artwork. Even The Rock Johnson posted himself singing a song from the movie Moana just for Indy. And more than four million people responded to this single post. Soon, her parents' prayers changed. They didn't want to see Indy suffer anymore. So in the arms of her mother on June 3rd, last year, Indy left this world. On the day of her burial, hundreds of people followed the funeral procession on foot. It was a day of smiles and tears. And most of all, a day of crossed fingers as people looked up. Miracles happened. The millions of people who were inspired by and connected to this little girl with Down syndrome has been nothing short of miraculous. Miraculous to those who needed to look beyond their own circumstances, to grandfathers who need redemption, to neighbors who need to care about each other, and to people who lack faith, who need to look up. Miracles happened because of Indy Lou. And miracles can happen because of you. If you're willing to look up and out, to see the good that's happening all around you, a kind word, an uplifting podcast, a generous gesture, a wish and a prayer for another person, can in fact be a miracle. This world is filled with so much good. There is so much to be grateful for. So as we end today, remember McKinsey. Be willing to be in the right place at the right time. You have to be open and willing to take a bit of risk sometimes for a miracle to happen. Sometimes, like Marsha, you need to follow a bit of inspiration to bring about the great changes in life. And let the indie effect, the miraculous, happen in your life. Look up. There is so much good that can happen as a result. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend and Join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.